The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Right now, though, let's head to the legislature for the daily COVID 19 update with Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Thanks, Tom, and good afternoon, everyone. Today, we have confirmed 297 new cases over the last 24 hours, bringing the total number of COVID 19 cases to 4,017. Of the new cases, three are in a First Nation community within the Calgary zone. The infected individuals are in isolation and the community is working with Indigenous Services Canada to prevent any spread. Alberta Health Services is also investigating two cases at the Mountain View Poultry Chicken Processing Facility in Okotoks. All supports are in place to prevent spread in that facility. 1,397 people in our province have now recovered from COVID-19. I must also report that there have been five additional deaths in the province. This brings the total number of lives lost to 72. My sincere condolences go out to everyone grieving the loss of a loved one today. Nothing can ease this pain, but please know we are doing everything we can to prevent further deaths from this illness. Since yesterday, I have heard from many Albertans who are profoundly disappointed or even angry about my statement regarding summer events. The message I am hearing is that Albertans have sacrificed so much already. How can I ask them to give up their summer when we don't know for sure what the situation will be like in one or two months? I hear this loud and clear. And the question of how we came to the decision regarding summer events is a valid one. So today I would like to provide more information on why I am convinced this measure is necessary. First, I know the curve shown in our modeling work may have left the impression that the virus will go away over the summer. That is not the case. The virus that causes COVID-19 will be with us for many months to come. And the relatively low case numbers we are seeing in most of the province are the result of our collective efforts and sacrifices. COVID-19 is still with us, and it spreads rapidly through social interactions. I want to give an example of how this happens. We have had several instances in the province of social gatherings where one person passed the virus on to many others at a single event before the individual knew they had COVID. The bond spiel in Alberta is one example I have talked about before. Of the 73 people who attended that event, 40 ended up with COVID-19. We have had other social events where over 80% of attendees were infected. And the common theme in all of these is that the source did not know they had COVID or there was possibly an environmental source with high touch surfaces. The attendees were trying to be careful with regular hand sanitization and trying to follow distancing rules, but the gatherings were social in nature. From these events, a single gathering resulted in between 13 and 40 additional cases with subsequent spread to household contacts of those who attended. In some cases, these household contacts were healthcare workers. We are starting to map out the ripple effects of spread started by these gatherings. These gatherings happened early in our epidemic before we fully understood the reality of transmission before the onset of symptoms. And I want to be clear, I am not blaming the people involved for this spread. 
what I want to underline is that the kinds of social gatherings we are used to, even in the summer, can result in significant spread of the virus from just one person who may not even know they are infected. The results can be explosive, far-reaching, and deadly. These are extraordinary times, and I am asking a lot of all of us. I hear every day of the things Albertans are giving up to fight COVID-19, and it does not seem fair to ask for more. Unfortunately, this virus does not respect our feelings. We have no easy options. We only have each other and our commitment to protect one another by continuing to make sacrifices. I am keenly aware of the depth to which these measures are affecting everyone. I do not take them lightly. I ask you to do the same. Many Albertans may not feel directly affected by COVID-19, but there is a growing number of us who are. I want to talk today about the importance of supporting these people. For example, those affected by the outbreak in High River. Not everyone who works at Cargill is a close contact of a confirmed case. There is no reason to assume that everyone connected to that facility is infected. These individuals are not in mandated isolation unless they are a confirmed case or a close contact of a confirmed case and should not be restricted from accessing businesses such as grocery stores or banks when necessary. The people who are affected by this outbreak are experiencing many difficulties and they need support and compassion as we work to stop further spread. The same is true of all those working at continuing care sites experiencing outbreaks, including healthcare workers and many others. This also is true of those who may have the illness or be a close contact of someone who has it. In the interest of transparency, we will begin posting healthcare worker case numbers online next week. To start, these statistics will only reflect information from AHS staff. Recognizing there is a desire to have a clear picture of the broader healthcare worker population, Alberta Health Services is working to ensure physician data and covenant health data can be included as soon as possible. This data may give the impression healthcare workers are at greater risk of spreading the virus, but this is not the case. As I have said before, healthcare workers take hygiene and sanitization practices seriously at all times, and even more so now. Do not be afraid to reach out to them and offer support when needed. We need to thank those who are staying home because they feel sick, whether or not they have been tested. We need to make sure that by our actions and attitudes, we encourage people who are sick to get tested. So those people do not feel shame or fear that makes them hide their symptoms and risk further spread. I have spoken often about our new normal. I want to make sure that this new normal both maintains physical distance and encourages social connection, compassion and understanding. The more we commit to this, the more effective we will be at stopping the spread together. I hear you when you tell me what you have given up already. I hear you when you worry for your children's well-being and the health of your loved ones. I know the sacrifices that are being made are taking a tremendous toll on all of us. I want you to know that I do not take these decisions lightly. I feel the weight of your sacrifice with every step we take but I know they are necessary to save lives now 
and provide a path forward to a time when they are no longer needed. Thank you, and I am happy to take questions. Excellent. We'll now open the, open the floor to questions. In addition to Dr. Hinshaw, we also have Dr. Mark Jaffe, Vice President and Medical Director with AHS available if needed. Operator, could you please put through the first question? First question is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering if there's any chance the professional sports will be played in Alberta before September 1st, and could exemptions be made if teams were willing to play in empty stadiums without fans and maybe with uh, limited staff? So I understand this is under discussion. I think this question came up a couple of days ago. And uh, certainly as we look at our relaunch planning and the kinds of restrictions that we may be uh, able to ease up on in the coming months, uh, we would look at suggestions like this to determine if they fit within that relaunch plan. Uh, so at this time, it's a little early to say whether or not that will happen. Uh, but again, I think the important piece would be to assess what the risks might be and whether or not that uh, can fit within that the relaunch framework and what kinds of activities are allowed as we uh, consider how and when we might slowly open up. Operator, can you put through the next question, please? Next is Jeff Slack with 660 News. Go ahead, Jeff. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I have a clarification and then a question. Uh, my clarification is you said that there are five new deaths today, but is it technically four because we had the information said it was 67 total deaths and then that one wasn't going to be added? Yes, that's right. So yesterday uh, when we had the 67 in our official counts, uh, I did confirm yesterday there was one additional death that came in after our data cutoff. So you're right, today it's four additional deaths, but it's counting as five extra because that um, one that came in late yesterday is a part of the five, if that makes sense. Yes, okay, I was just wondering that. And then my question is, um, it's been about 10 or 11 days since, you know, we've um, expanded the, the testing protocols. We've jumped about over 2,000 cases since then. So I'm just wondering, you know, what's your message to people who are worried about seeing these case numbers continue to rise and those who may look at these numbers and say, well, it's going to continue to rise anyways, whether or not I go outside? So I would say that uh, the majority of the numbers that we're seeing right now are linked to the big outbreaks that we're aware of, and we're working very hard to control that spread. Uh, I think the challenge, if people are saying, well, the numbers are going to rise anyway, what difference does you know one more person out in public make? I, I say to you that uh, the difference that one person attending uh, one of these social gatherings who didn't know they were infected and spreading the virus to between 13 and 40 additional people, that's the difference that you can make. And so I think the important part is knowing that uh, this virus is incredibly challenging to control because it does spread sometimes before symptoms start. Uh, and so people need to be mindful of their actions, maintain physical distancing, regular hand washing. Uh, if they can't maintain physical distancing, consider the use of a mask, a non-medical mask. Um, and the more we limit these gatherings, the more we limit the chance that the virus can jump from one person to 39 others in a single event. So again, I, I think really the, the numbers rising should be a cautionary tale, not a, a tale of futility. And we have control over this. By our actions, we have done incredible things. And the numbers to date have shown that we have the power to maintain this 
control of the spread together. And I know that people are tired and I know that they want to get out and they absolutely can. But we need to remember the physical distancing, hand washing, and to avoid these kinds of social gatherings where the virus can spread very easily. Excellent. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Julia Wong with Global. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Just hoping for a clarification on whether any of the new deaths are in long-term care facilities, and then hoping to get an update on the situation at Kensington Village in Edmonton. The facility says that there have been three deaths there and 25 cases in residents and staff. So how concerning is that situation, and have all staff and residents there been tested? So uh, three of the five deaths that uh, are new today in the official numbers are from long-term care facilities. And with respect to the question about Kensington, um, uh, sorry, I, I have 43 um, on my list today. So we will be giving an updated list on our website this afternoon so people will be able to see the, the numbers. So Shepherd's Care Kensington. So I do have 29 cases, three deaths. Um, and absolutely that's a, a concern for us. I want to remind people that because the incubation period can be up to two weeks, we can continue to see new cases in some of these facilities even after all control measures have been put in place. Uh, and so that facility is certainly one that the medical officers of health and public health team in Edmonton zone are working very closely with. I don't have information on whether or not asymptomatic testing has been completed there, but we can follow up and get back to you. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Alex, sorry, Alex McCraig with uh, Chat Medicine Hat. Go ahead, Alex. Hi, Dr. Anshaw. Um, can you talk about what precautions are being taken at the JBS plant in, in Brooks to stop the spread of, of COVID in the city? And uh, also, uh, under what circumstances would you recommend this plant's closure? Sure. So my colleagues, uh, the local medical officers of health, are the ones who would have the most detail about the specifics that are happening on the site. Uh, but I have been in contact with them regularly to understand the work that they're doing. And I want to emphasize that what was very, very clear in the response that uh, we had in the plant at Cargill is that we cannot look at a single work site in isolation of what's happening in the lives of the people who work there. And so I just want to really underline that the plant, there are measures that are being taken in the plant. I understand that uh, the number of shifts has been reduced, the number of people in the plant is lower, physical distancing, uh, making sure that symptom checks are happening. There are multiple measures that are being taken. But what I also want to really underline is that at this plant, similar to the plant in High River, we know that many of the workers who are working there also live in large households. And we know that we can't focus on the plant in isolation. We need to look at that whole picture and support people in every single setting of their lives, whether that's at their homes, whether it's at their, their carpooling, their transportation, whether it's at their work site. And so all of those measures are being worked on by my colleagues in South Zone, and they're working in partnership with uh, other stakeholders in that municipality and, and other um, 
groups to make sure that that those resources are offered to all of those households. So uh, if there's more information that's required, then that's something we can follow up on. But again, I just want to emphasize that if we look at a work site in isolation, we will not be able to control an outbreak. We have to look at the whole picture. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Jason Herring with the gauntlet. Go ahead, Jason. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. Um, Union leader Thomas Hesse has uh, been calling on the provincial government to protect frontline food service workers uh, better in light of these large outbreaks at uh, Cargill and JBS. Uh, do you believe that additional measures need to be implemented to protect these, these workers? And if so, what might those measures look like? So uh, we have published general non-healthcare workplace guidelines that would be applicable in all non-healthcare workplace settings, uh, but it's clear with the outbreaks that we're dealing with that these particular workplaces may require some additional support. So we do have a team at the ministry looking at the kinds of uh, pieces that, what, are, what have we learned from these particular outbreaks that we can provide in advance to these plant operators. So we are working on a guidance document that would would help uh, operators of these kinds of facilities to uh, proactively implement even additional measures beyond what was laid out in those more general guidelines. And so that document we're working on as quickly as we can and uh, working to have it available ideally by next week uh, because we know that this is an urgent situation. Operator, could you please put through another question? Next is Jerry Sims, or Jeremy Sims, I think, with the Western Producer. Go ahead. Hi, yes, Dr. Hinsha. I'm just wondering those two additional deaths uh, on top of the long-term care ones, where those deaths are located. And then I'm wondering if you can elaborate on the investigation of the Mountain View Poultry Chicken Facility and perhaps how many cases of COVID-19 are linked there. Sure. So uh, the other two deaths, one was the one that I spoke about yesterday, uh, which was a worker at the JBS plant. Um, so that's in South Zone. And the other one is a male in his 90s from the Calgary Zone. And then um, the other question oh, was about the Mountain View plant. So I'm aware of two cases at that plant. And we are uh, working very hard to make sure that with even one case at a meat processing plant, given again the outbreaks that we've seen, that there's an investigation immediately to ensure that if there is anyone who's deemed to be exposed, uh, that those people are excluded and that these additional precautions, again, that we're working on to provide to all of these operators, that those are put in place as quickly as possible. So Alberta Health Services is working with that plant to make sure they have the support that they need. Operator, we'll have the next question, please. Next is Ryan Rishaw with TSN. Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Just a question about protocol that's in place when a person tests positive and the protocols as they exist now in terms of, you know, finding out who they were in contact with, isolating, testing, those sorts of things. As this progresses and we look months down the road, does that scenario ever have the possibility of changing whereby if somebody tests positive for coronavirus, those who were in direct contact with that person won't necessarily have to do that. So uh, the current process when someone tests positive uh, for COVID-19 is that the lab report goes to local public health and each zone um, 
public health has the intake process, they would get the, the lab report and they would contact that person to find out, first of all, when did their symptoms start? And then uh, by knowing what that date was, they can figure out the period within which they might be infectious and then what they did and who they were in contact with during that period of time, which now includes the two days prior to the start of their symptoms. And so the contact tracers then get all of that information and then that contact tracing team follows up with all those individuals who have come in close contact with them uh, because those individuals at this point when they're close contacts do need to self-isolate for 14 days. The question about whether or not that will change at some point in the future, whether we will not have to do that kind of contact tracing and requirement for self-isolation, that would happen uh, when and if we have uh, sufficient um, protection in the population that could be by way of a vaccine that once that's developed um, or you know depending on the timing of that it will be obviously watching to see how many people in our population are infected and once we have the uh, valid uh, serology testing the blood test that shows antibodies uh, we will start with collaboration across the country with doing some blood sampling in the Alberta population to be able to undertake uh, studies of how many people might be infected. The challenge is that as of now, this virus can cause very mild symptoms in many people, uh, but it can cause very severe symptoms and death in others. And even though the highest risk of severe symptoms and death is in those who are older or who have multiple medical conditions, uh, or even single chronic medical conditions like high blood pressure, some people who are otherwise young and healthy can still have very severe disease. So I don't foresee a time in the near future when we would stop doing our contact tracing and notifying those contacts of the need to stay home. Because as I said earlier, that's really the only protection we have against widespread of this disease and a situation similar to what we saw in uh, New York or in Italy is we have each other and we have our contact tracers who help us to make sure that those who have been exposed know how they can protect others by staying home for two weeks. Uh, we have time for three more questions. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? This is Carmen LaBelle with CTV. Go ahead. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Henshaw. Um, I'm wondering, a number of local sport associations I know have been waiting to see if they can have some sort of a summer season. We're talking soccer, baseball, hockey. With the mass gathering announcement yesterday, is this still possible? Or, or I guess what's your directive to these associations at this time? So we are looking at... Uh, outdoor recreation as a part of the question of, of the relaunch and the staging of the relaunch. So I would say to those associations that certainly the opportunity to have uh, many spectators gathering together uh, is unlikely to happen, but whether or not those sports can go ahead, again, will be part of the discussions that we're having with respect to staging of relaunch, when that might happen, and what kinds of activities will be permitted. And I know that people want to plan, and I know that the more advance notice they have, the easier it is to make those plans. But I would just ask people to be patient as we work through uh, these relaunch discussions, and we will be coming forward with more information. Information. Operator, could you put through the next question, please? Next is Jennifer Lee with CBC. Go ahead, Jennifer. 
Hi, Dr. Henshaw. I just have a question uh, regarding, uh, I know there's an agreement that's been signed between AHS and the unions um, today in terms of redeployment of staff. And I'm just wondering, what do you anticipate in terms of uh, the need for this? How quickly uh, will we see staff potentially redeployed from hospitals to continuing care facilities? Um, how many and do you have an idea of where you'd like to see these folks go right away? So I'll maybe comment generally and then ask Dr. Jaffe if he has any additional comments to make. I think that the work that's being done to allow some flexibility in having workers be able to, to move and support other sites is in many ways a proactive and precautionary step. Uh, there have been a few instances, as people know, the uh, Manoir du Lac facility where AHS took over directly operations of that facility. And there have been other facilities that uh, have just been struggling with staffing needs in an outbreak situation where many of the, the healthcare workers in that location are off um, on quarantine, not able to work. And so there haven't been, to my knowledge, and I'll let Dr. Jaffe comment further, um, there haven't been a lot of those instances, but I think it's really important to be prepared because as I said earlier, COVID-19 will be with us for many months to come and we need to be doing work in advance to prepare for possibilities and not waiting until uh, we're um, struggling to be able to, to make those policy decisions at the last minute. So I'll maybe ask Dr. Jaffe if he has anything else to add. Thank you, Dr. Hinshaw, and thank you for the question. Let me first start by offering the sympathies of Alberta Health Services and all of uh, those who work for Alberta Health Services to the families who are grieving the loss of loved ones today. I would echo the comments of Dr. Hinshaw. This is really about planning, preparation, and, and flexibility. Uh, I'm delighted that uh, we were able to reach between Alberta Health Services and the three health unions that we work with, uh, HSAA, UNA uh, and AUPE, we were able to reach a memorandum of understanding that will allow for uh, Alberta Health Services employees to be redeployed into other uh, settings in order to provide care if needed, uh, or will also allow Alberta Health Services employees to volunteer to go and work in other settings. So this is all about planning and preparing, uh, particularly for continuing care outbreaks in which residents may require additional care. We may re uh, require additional staff. There may be staff who are uh, off work uh, because they have to self-isolate and we need to be able to replace those staff. So this is a good news story. And again, I'm uh, thankful that the unions uh, work together with us because ultimately the, uh, the sole goal of the operators of these facilities, Alberta Health Services and the unions who, uh, who support the workers who provide the care is, is to allow us to provide quality care, excellent care to the residents of these facilities while at the same time protecting our healthcare workers. Operator, we'll take two more questions. Could you put through the next one, please? Lydia Newfeld with CBC. Go ahead. Thank you very much. This is a question for Dr. Hinshaw. You talked briefly about the outbreak at Kensington Village. Now, um, its director of care says that they recently requested testing for all asymptomatic staff and residents, but they say the Edmonton's own medical officer of health denied that request. Was that the case? And if so, why? 
So I'll have to follow up with my colleagues in Edmonton Zone, uh, but I, the one thing I would say is that when we made the decision to implement testing of asymptomatic long-term care residents and staff in outbreak settings, I did advise my colleagues, uh, the local medical officers of health, uh, that for outbreaks that were currently underway, uh, that they could use their clinical judgment based on whether or not they felt that that particular outbreak would benefit from that testing of all current residents and staff uh, and that's because if there was an outbreak where there was really no spread happening if it had been say three weeks with no new cases then there may be more risk than benefit with respect to putting people through the discomfort uh, of having tests and when there wasn't much likelihood of having additional cases so I don't know about this particular instance we can certainly follow up uh, but again the the direction that I gave was that existing outbreaks could have that asymptomatic testing um, based on the clinical judgment of the local medical officer of health. Operator, can you put through the final question, please? Final question is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, Dr. Henshaw. I wonder if we can get some clarification on, uh, I guess, what's now being deemed an outbreak at the First Nation uh, in the Calgary zone, where that is, what precautions are being taken? So uh, with respect to First Nations, those nations work with Indigenous Services Canada um, and they are uh, independent with respect to the work that they do within the nation. Uh, so I am aware that there are cases uh, in a particular uh, First Nation community, um, but with respect to the details of what, what's being done within that nation, uh, that's something that would be best directed to that community or to Indigenous Services Canada. Excellent. Thank you for coming out, everyone. Uh, we'll provide another update on Monday. Uh, statistical information and situational reports will be released uh, both Saturday and Sunday. Thank you. All right, you've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw's daily update on COVID-19 in the province of Alberta. Again, uh, they will provide uh, updates on Saturday, Sunday online only. We'll hear from her again on Monday. So 297 new cases in the province, bringing the total to 4,017. Um, there are three cases in a First Nations community in the Calgary zone, but as you just heard, um, uh, referring all questions uh, to uh, to a higher level on that one. There are two cases in the Mountain View poultry processing uh, plant in Okotoks, and we've had five more deaths, uh, bringing the total to 72 in the province of Alberta. Her appeal today, you know, she started this news conference saying that she's heard from a lot of you who are frustrated, who are sad, and in some cases who are angry, very angry about uh, cancellations of a lot of summer events and summer festivals, asking how can, um, you know, how can she ask you to give up summer? And she goes on to explain that decision. You'll hear that again coming up. But I can tell you, as we head to break, that confirmation that Big Valley Jamboree has been cancelled uh, for this year. It just uh, The news just came out a few moments ago saying that they've been forced to make the disappointing and difficult decision to reschedule to 2021. It was um, sealed, that the fate was sealed um, during yesterday's 
news conference with Dr. Hinshaw talking about mass gatherings. And they're saying that they're very disappointed. It's been a live entertainment staple in Alberta since 1993. And though it's been through some really difficult times, there's never been a summer in Alberta without BVJ for the past 27 years. But this is the reality this year. So we'll keep you updated on that one. I can tell you as well that the city has announced uh, again in the last uh, 20 minutes that Canada Day fireworks shows and celebrations in City Hall and Sir Winston Churchill Square have been cancelled for this year. On a monetary front, though, it does lead to a cost savings of almost $300,000. And earlier today, the Heritage Festival was cancelled. So we'll take a break here.